At the conclusion of the service today, we are going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ by obeying Him and His call for us to eat bread and to drink wine, specifically in remembrance of His great work on our behalf. And so, be thinking of that today as we study His Word together and we talk about the Gospel. When He says, do this in remembrance of Me, no doubt it is in relationship to His perfect life and death and resurrection And we are to be impressed with that, so impressed with that, that we would even take simple elements and we would eat and drink and and meditate and think upon His great saving work on our behalf. And so that will be the climax of our worship service, and you can be thinking toward that end. Pray with me one more time if you would. Father, once again, we are thankful to be able to gather like this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior having been encouraged by singing and even listening to music that exalts Christ and now having an opportunity to learn more about Him and about His great gospel. We would want You to help us to understand and we would want You to further equip this local church and us as individuals so that we might honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the things that we do and as we speak of Him. And so please grant us this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to Romans 10. We're studying Romans together as a church, and you can join the rest of us if you're in Romans 10. If you're new to the Bible, as I say so often, maybe we just gave you a Bible this morning. You can find a page number that would correspond to that Bible in the bulletin, and you can join the rest of us. I know there are some in the back as well if you need a Bible. A lot happens when a person becomes a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you know that this is the case. Associated with becoming a Christian are all kinds of things. When you become a Christian, the Bible teaches that you've been reconciled to God. That there was animosity, there was conflict, and and you've been reconciled to God through the work of Christ. Also associated with becoming a Christian is, is the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit opens your eyes to understand in a way that you didn't understand before. Also associated with becoming a Christian is the great, great reality of being declared perfect in the eyes of God, even though, as you know and as I know, we're not perfect. The Bible calls that justification, where based upon the perfect merits of Christ and trusting in Him and Him alone, God declares us perfect and fit for heaven. Not only that, when you become a Christian and associated with that, you're forgiven of all of your sins. All of your sins past, all of your sins present, all of your sins future. How does that happen? It happens based upon the perfect atoning work of Christ. That He satisfied the justice of God in dying in our place. Not only that, when you become a Christian, associated with that is the fact that that having trusted in Christ, the Bible teaches in Romans 6, you've been raised with Christ unto newness of life. And so now you, you actually have the power and the ability, because you're no longer enslaved to sin, to live for the glory of Christ. There's so much that happens in relationship to becoming a Christian. So many great things. Another great thing that happens when you become a Christian is you have new desires. And one of those new desires is the desire that the Apostle Paul had in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. 
Look there what he writes when he writes, My heart's desire. See, there's a new desire here. He used to hate Christians. He used to live only for self. And now he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them, referring to the Jews, is that they may be saved. And if you're a Christian, you can feel your heartbeat with the Apostle Paul's heartbeat. He now wants people to be saved. He wants them to experience the joy He's experienced. He wants them to experience the reconciliation that He's experienced. He wants others to know what it means to be justified. He wants others to know what it means to to, to have the hope of heaven. This is what happens when you become a Christian. Among other things, you have a new desire for other people. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you know what this is like. I want a lot of things for my family, but I want more than anything else on the planet for my kids to borrow from the Apostle Paul's words that they may be saved, that they may be rescued from what they deserve, which is what I deserve too, and that would be just condemnation, that they would be saved. I, I, want, I want my friends to be saved. I want my relatives to be saved. If you have children, you want them to be saved. If you have parents, you want them to be saved. Uh, office mates, classmates, strangers... It's one of the great things that happens when you become a Christian. You now care about other people as it would relate to the most important issue in the whole planet. You care about their eternal destiny, right? So here we are with this new kind of heartbeat in our passion. We want to see people saved as we've been saved, saved by God, saved from God. And without any kind of guidance, we're prone to do some things that are not very biblical. We're, we're, we're prone to, to end up getting kind of dangerous because we've got this new heartbeat, but it, it might lead us to think that somehow we can save them. And that's happened throughout church history and it happens today. I, I can do this myself. Maybe through a good tactic or through a good technique I can learn in a training class. Or we commit the opposite dangerous error without any guidance, and that is we think that we don't have to do anything whatsoever because God somehow does this apart from messengers, apart from other human beings, and so we're entirely passive. I love Romans 10. I love the fact that Romans 10 is next to Romans 9 and Romans 8. Romans 8 and 9 were so helpful for us to study because it helps us understand that God and God alone saves according to His own sovereign grace. But now we're in Romans 10... And we're seeing that God uses human means to bring the gospel message to people. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to be saved. That's a sovereign act of God and according to the sovereign grace. But if God is going to save people, which is our desire and heartbeat, He's going to use us. He's going to use us in proclaiming. He's going to use us in communicating the message. And so Romans 8, 9, and 10, in so many ways for us as a church and as Christians, serves as kind of an evangelistic training class. There are bigger issues in Romans 10 and 9 and 8, and and there are bigger issues involved, but we're, we're focusing in on one tree, if you will, learning about evangelism. This is something we're all supposed to do in light of the Great Commission, in light of what Jesus says in Matthew 28. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for for evangelists. This is something we're all called to do in light of Matthew 28. And so what I'm praying and hoping that as a church, this could be a good time for us to to, to recommit to biblical evangelism, evangelism if need be, 
to be equipped maybe for the first time in biblical evangelism if need be, or to repent from unbiblical evangelism if need be, that this would make an impact on us, that we would think differently. And I'll have you know that in the last week, opportunities I personally have had to communicate the gospel to people, I have been guided and directed by these principles in Romans 10. I mean, this impacts me. This impacts the way I think, the way I act. I don't know of anything more practical when it comes to evangelism than these principles that we have. There are six of them in Romans 10, 13 to 17. Let's call them six key elements of biblical evangelism. Six key elements of biblical evangelism. And evangelism simply means to proclaim the good news. We proclaim the good news about the good one who is the evangel himself, who is Christ. And so let's get further equipped We want to make an impact in Omaha. We want to see people saved. We can't save them, but if they're going to get saved, God does use means. And we want to be a part of that. It's a very important study for us. We looked at the first three of these six last time. We'll just ever so briefly review, and then we'll look at the remaining three. They're in reverse order in the passage, so it's six, five, four, three, two, one. So if you wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six, um, you're going to confuse me. Or I'm going to confuse you. Um, so, six, five, four, three, two, one. Let's look at number one. The sixth key element of biblical evangelism is salvation. Salvation. You might say it's not a key element. That's actually what we're aiming for. But let's include it on the list. It says right there in verse 13. Look there with me if you would. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Number six, saved. That's, that's, that's what we want. That's our desire. That's Romans 10.1. That's what Paul wanted. I want people to be saved. And, and if, if that's the case, then we need to work our way backward to find out how it is we get to point number six. Now, please, I'll only say one more thing about this, but please remember, this assumes that people are not naturally saved. Okay? People need to be saved. People aren't born saved. People are not born Christians. When, when I ask someone, uh, how long have you been a Christian or how long have you been saved or however I'm going to say it in those terms, and they say, well, I've always been. I know that they don't understand the gospel. And it's a great opportunity for me to think of these six principles and in these six terms So, because I do want them to be saved and I can talk to them about the gospel. So that's what we're aiming for. That's a good desire. That's a right desire. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says that God desires all men to be saved. He's that kind of God. He, he's not an ogre kind of God. His disposition, if you will, is a disposition of love and care and compassion. He's a saving God. So it makes sense for me, as someone who's been saved by the saving God, to want that for other people. And we are in good company if we feel like that. Remember, too, that Matthew 18.3 quotes Jesus as saying, unless you are converted, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. People do need to be saved. They need to be converted. All right, let's move on now to number five. The fifth key element of biblical evangelism is calling on. Sounds a little awkward, but that's what the passage says, and so that's what we're going to call it. Now we back up. If we want to see people saved, we've got to back up and see what they must do. Look at verse 13 again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. I want them to be saved. I can't do it. Only God can do that. Romans 8 and 9. But if if they are going to be saved, I back up to number 5. I do know that they have to call on the name of the Lord. 
This is not categorized in the Bible as a work, a religious action. Salvation is not by works so that no one can boast. Earlier in Romans 10, and I won't repeat it, but earlier in Romans 10, that's why I talked about how, how this, is, this is in people's mouths. It's in their heart. And, and the idea is that there's nothing left to be done. Christ has done everything necessary. You don't lift a spiritual finger, as I like to keep saying. And the only thing left to be done, and you'll do it only by the grace of God, is you say, save me. You call on the name of the Lord. We saw an example of this in Luke 18. Save me. God, I'm desperate. I can't do it. My church can't do it. My religion can't do it. God, help. If people are going to be saved, six, number five has to be true. They've got to call on the name of the Lord. And we need to know this if we're going to be biblical in our evangelism. We do know people need to call on the name of the Lord. They're not saved somehow magically or, or, or through some sort of osmosis or by nature of the fact that they're born in a certain country or their parents go to a certain church. You've got to call on the name of the Lord. Let's move now backward a little bit more and we can back up one more step. So six, five, now four. Number four, believing. A fourth key element of biblical evangelism is believing. Look there at verse 14, you'll see it. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? One thing you can't accuse the Bible of being is illogical. This is a a progression that makes a lot of sense. Okay, we want to see them saved. In order to be saved, they have to call on the name of the Lord. And if they're going to call on the name of the Lord and say, save me, they have to believe that he has the power and the ability to do that. They have to know something about him. They they need to understand that he's, he's more than a mere man. They need to understand that he's more than God. They need to understand that because God can't die for the human race, that's impossible. They need to understand something about the uniqueness of Jesus that that God stepped down from His throne in glory and became a human being. He is the God-man as historic Christianity has always taught as the Bible would have us know. He is really truly man. Otherwise, He couldn't die for us. He really truly is God or He couldn't be perfect because sin has tainted everyone who's ever been born. And there's more issues involved, but the idea is they need to understand this. So you believe. Believe means trust, depend upon I'm doing this maybe because it's strong and trustworthy and reliable. That's the idea. And you'll never say, help me, save me, if you don't first believe he's able, he's capable, that he truly did live a perfect life, that he truly did die a sinner's death even though he didn't sin, and he actually satisfied. Do you want to use the fancy word for it? He truly did propitiate the wrath of God. And he truly did rise again from the dead. He's not a dead Savior. So knowing this in my mind causes me to have a more biblical methodology or philosophy of evangelism. I want to see people saved. That means I know they... i got to pray that they'll call on the name of the Lord and they're not going to ever call on the name of the Lord unless they believe the truth about the Lord. So I'm going to pray that they would believe the truth about the Lord. And now we get into the fact that I actually want them to know what the truth about the Lord is. And so he is making this very, very clear for us so we have some guidance. Now let's back up a little bit more. Number three, now we're on new ground. And I just skipped a lot in the review. You can 
get on iTunes or the website or get a CD from the bookstore if you'd like to. There's a lot more involved, but that's review. Now we're going to back up another step. Number four, hearing. Third key element of biblical evangelism is hearing. It's also in verse 14. If you look there, you'll see it. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Man, this is logical. Man, this makes a lot of sense. How do you answer that rhetorical question? How can they believe in whom they've not heard, never heard? How do you answer? They can't. It doesn't make any sense. It's impossible. They're not going to believe in belief. That's not Christianity. They're not going to believe in nothing. They've got to hear the truth to believe the truth. They've got to hear the truth to trust the truth in order to call upon the living truth in order to be saved. Do you think like this when you're doing evangelism? I mean, I guess I don't in one sense. But this is so part of my mental evangelistic DNA. I'm always thinking like this. I want to see people saved. Well, if they're going to be saved, that means they've got to call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't happen by osmosis. They actually do need to call on the name of the Lord by God's grace. And, and that means they need to believe the truth. And, and in order to believe the truth, they have to hear the truth. I think like this. Paul wants us to think like this. He really wants us to think like this because we might be so excited about Romans 8 and 9 and, and God and God alone saves according to His sovereignty that we might just be tempted to be unbiblical and never say a word. And I'm here to tell you, quoting the Bible, how will they believe if they've not heard? In other words, they can't be saved if they don't ever hear. Well, that doesn't sound like Romans 8 and 9 to me. I'll take it up with God. It's called Romans 10, you know? <laughs> God and God alone saves, but God does use human means to communicate His message of salvation. And that's where we come in. That's where we get motivated. Very helpful to verse 14 is verse 17. If you can just peer ahead a little bit to verse 17, it's just awesome verse where it says in verse 17, So faith, and by the way, that's the same exact word as belief. Those are synonyms. Trust. So faith comes from hearing. Well, that's what we're talking about. Point number three is hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Word of Christ being a synonym for, for the gospel, no doubt. The, the, the word about Christ that comes from Christ, it's the gospel. So, so if they have to believe in order to call on, in order to be saved, well, let's back up a little bit more. That means they have to first hear. And don't check out on the logic on this one. Based upon verse 17, we know that the means that God uses to bring about faith, if He's going to bring it about, is hearing the Word of Christ, hearing the Gospel. Let me say it again, maybe in another way, so you're tracking. We want people to be saved. We want people to call on the name of the Lord. We want people to believe that means they need to hear, based upon verse 17, the means God uses to bring about saving faith, if He's going to bring about saving faith, is them hearing the Gospel, hearing the Word of Christ, verse 17. 
Now, I said that very carefully because I'm not saying, and Romans 10 is not saying, if they hear, they will believe, and they will call on, and they will be saved. You've got to go back to Romans 8 and 9. But if He is going to save them, He is most certainly going to use the means, most certainly going to use the means, based upon verse 17, of them hearing the gospel to then bring about faith, which brings about calling on, which then brings about, by the grace of God, salvation. This is how we should be thinking. This impacts me radically. When I talk to people about Christ, when I talk to them about the gospel, I'm going to go back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel. Why? Because verse 17. They need to hear, they need to hear, they need to hear. A man said to me a number of weeks ago, he's been here for a number of years now, kind gentleman of a man, serving behind the scenes. He was teary-eyed. And I am not quoting him verbatim, but he basically said, Pat, I get it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I understand the gospel. And I don't remember if he worded it this way or not, but he said, I've been saved. I said, how did that happen? He said, I've been hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel. And it clicked. And I'm inside singing the hallelujah chorus, you know, like full volume going, yes. Wasn't through manipulation. Wasn't through technique. He just kept hearing and hearing and hearing. And if God is going to bring about saving faith, He's going to use the means of hearing the word of Christ, which is the gospel. And so I am a one-track record. It's gospel, 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 gospel. I don't care what you ask me, it's gospel. I, I, I am a spin doctor in that sense. <laughs> I will spin the conversation every which way and sideways to get it back to the issue. And I think you should too. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Just let verse 17 meddle with your mind if need be and and soak into your mind and saturate your mind. One British preacher put it this way by way of contrast. Faith cannot be washed into us by immersion nor sprinkled upon us in christening. It is not to be poured into us from a chalice, nor generated in us by a consecrated piece of bread. There is no magic about it. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God, and and, and by that way only. And you see what he's aiming at, this misperception of how faith comes. Last week I was at a I was at the boat show, talking downtown. Last Friday, talking to a man who's corporate executive for a major manufacturer, and we're talking about I don't even traveling somewhere. And so I happened to mention something about traveling to another country and how thankful it made me to come back. You know where things are a little bit more trustworthy as far as the police are concerned, or something. Now. I want you to know that I absolutely had an agenda, okay? He didn't bite. 
okay? The next day, he said, Pat, this is a guy I don't know, I just met. He said, uh, I've been thinking about it. I meant to ask you, um, you know, what, what took you to Russia anyway? Hmm. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm thinking God has answered prayer because I was praying for an opportunity to talk to this guy about the gospel, and there you have it. So I said, well, I went there to teach at a, at, at a college. I went there to, I'm a, I, I'm a Bible teacher. That's what I do. Oh. And then he proceeds to play theologian because, you know, everybody's a theologian, right? Oprah's America's theologian, so we, most of us learn our theology from her, which means it's horrible. But anyway, everybody is a theologian. And so I let him theologize and tell me about God with a typical, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and you know what? I'm looking for an opportunity. I don't need to be a jerk. I don't need to give him two black eyes. He's espousing drivel. It's just nonsense. But it was an opportunity for me to somehow say, you know, that, that, that's interesting that you say you want to live your life by those three guiding principles. And, uh, you know, those are good guiding principles. That's admirable. I said, you know, what's, what's so encouraging to me is the fact that even though I try to do those same kind of principles, that I haven't kept them perfectly. In fact, I've broken all of those principles and more. You know, he thought I was confessing to him or something. I'm just getting set up for the gospel. I said, what's amazing to me about biblical, historic Christianity is that God came here, became a man, and perfectly followed those principles and more. He perfectly obeyed God's law because we can't and we don't. And then, that Jesus then died a sinner's death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. When we break these principles, we're, we're just rebelling against God. And, and, and then He rose again from the dead. And, and what's so amazing about this is, is Christianity wouldn't make any sense apart from this. I mean, why did God send His Son anyway? Otherwise, He would have just given us principles. I was praising God inside. And He wanted to talk about something else. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so I left then at the end of the night praying for him that God would put someone else in his life. Because faith comes by hearing. And if he is going to exercise saving faith, it's going to be tied to him hearing the gospel. And I don't share this with you because I want to boast about this. Actually, I do want to boast about this because I was so happy to boast in Christ. But to say, this is your life. This is how you live your life. I wasn't there with a backward collar on. That was not why he asked me the question. I was there in jeans and tennis shoes and a t-shirt. This is just life for us. This is how our heart beats because we want people to be saved. And you can look for opportunities too. We want to find these opportunities. I was in the hotel gym last week in California and there was a guy in there. It was just the two of us and he had his headphones on and before I know it, and to be quite honest with you, I didn't really want to talk to him. I was trying to get my workout done and I'm a big fat sinner thinking about myself and uh, so fat I have to work out. But uh, <laughs> he wants to ask me how to do some 
why am I doing some exercise the way I'm doing it? And then he shows me what he thinks is a better way of doing it. You know, it was, it was all fine and good. Then he said, so what are you doing here anyway? I'm like, oh, great, Lord. <laughs> Can't even finish my workout. <laughs> I said, well, I'm actually here for a conference. What kind of conference? I'm here for a Bible conference. Oh, really? What's that about? The Bible, you know? <laughs> And so then he, he played theologian, told me all about God, told me all kinds of crazy, whacked out things. And I just let him talk because, he, quite frankly, I don't, it doesn't even, I don't even care. I actually do care, but it, it doesn't matter. But he said enough for me to be able to say essentially the same thing I said to the guy at the boat show. And he looked at me like, I never heard that before. It was a great opportunity. Then to walk out and say, God, please put someone else in his life. Save him because he's heard the gospel. Grant him saving faith. And if not now, put somebody else in his life because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. We're all called to be evangelists because of the Great Commission. You can do this. You need to do this. Not because it's some horrible chore, but because you can boast in Christ. And if you love people and you want to see them saved... Faith comes by hearing. It's tremendously encouraging. Now, by way of negative contrast, and then we'll move on shortly. By way of negative contrast, here's what this passage is not teaching. It's not teaching, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Some of you might have that plaque, and maybe we'll have a plaque burning at my house when the weather gets warmer, and you can burn that quote from St. Francis of Assisi. And you say, I like that plaque. I don't think I like plaque burning at all, Pastor. Think about what it says. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, in one sense, I love that quote, because let's assume the best as far as motives. Let's live lives of integrity. Let's not live as big hypocrites that undermines the gospel. I'm all for that. We should do that. But make no mistake about it. That is not how the gospel is communicated. Faith comes by hearing, not watching, and hearing by the Word of Christ. It's My life is a bad gospel. My life preaches a false gospel. If you believe the gospel of my life, you will go to hell. Because if you don't hear the truth, you're going to say, if I do what Pat does, I'll go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is outside of Pat. The gospel is the good news about Christ. That Christ lived a perfect life, not a Pat life. That Christ died a sinner's death for us and atoned for our sins. That, that, that He rose again from the dead. That He's the victor over the grave, giving us new life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing that. Not faith comes by watching and watching this. Again, don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to be the mean guy. I do want my life to be a Christ-honoring life. We're called to be, we're, we're said by Jesus to be salt and light and we want to live like we're salt and light. I want to have integrity. But that's not the gospel. 
We, we, we want the easy way out. Faith, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That means I don't ever have to open my mouth, or perhaps only sometimes. But there's no way I can preach the gospel if that's the case, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So let's be motivated. Let's be motivated to open our mouths. And according to the biblical guidelines for biblical evangelism, St. Francis of Assisi gets an F. And we're just not going to subscribe to his methodology. We're going to subscribe to the Apostle Paul's methodology. If we want to see people saved, number six, that means we've got to uh, have them, by the grace of God, see them calling on the name of the Lord, which we can't orchestrate. Okay, that's fair enough, but it does have to happen. And if that's going to happen, they have to believe or trust in Christ, which we can't orchestrate either. But if it's going to happen, that means we need to back up another step, and they need to... What's the next point? Call on his name? No, it's not calling his name. What is it? Hear, right? They have to hear. If they're going to believe, they have to hear. You can tell I came in on a late flight. And I've been drinking NutraSweet or something like that. Number two. Number two. Six, five, four, three, two. Preaching. Preaching. And we'll do number one quickly. Look at verse 14. And how will they hear? without someone preaching. What's the, what's the implied answer? They won't. It's impossible. They won't. Now, I do like the ESV translation here in particular because of the way it translates it. It says, without someone preaching. And that's true to the fact that it's a participle. Instead of without a preacher, as the beloved NAS says, I like it this way better because it does capture the participle idea, but it also helps us all to realize that this is something we can all do and not just the preacher. Because that's really the idea. How will they hear without someone preaching? The Greek word is keruso. How will they hear without someone kerusoing, if you will? Without someone heralding. The idea is not occupational ministry preacher guy. The idea is, how can they do this without a herald? That no one is going to hear unless someone is saying, I have an announcement! That's what a herald did. The herald shows up on behalf of one who's in authority, like the king in the first century, and the herald shows up and says, we've won the battle! Or, we're going to battle! Everyone come with me! But they're proclaimers of a message that's coming from, typically, a king or someone in, in authority. And people, the people you love and you want to see saved by God's grace will never be saved unless there is preaching, heralding, gospel preaching. Because these are the means God uses. These are the means God uses. Take it up with Romans 10. How will they hear without someone heralding or someone preaching. Maybe you could write down a couple of things about this. We could observe that, therefore, evangelism, here's a new word for you maybe, is heraldic. Evangelism is heraldic. And I think that's helpful to point out, even though it's not a very helpful word, perhaps. I'm not sharing my opinions when I do evangelism. 
in evangelism, I'm not saying in the spirit of, well, I think, or what this means to me is, how will they hear without someone heralding? Tied up in the idea of a herald is someone who's speaking actually someone else's message and is saying, this is how it is. Now, we can smile. We don't have to yell. But what we're doing is delivering a message. That's why the the waiter is such a good illustration we use now and then. You're not the chef. Don't be trying to put salt on the food on the way to the table. You'll mess it up. It's already been created, and your job is to get it from the kitchen to the table without screwing it up, right? I have something for you that didn't come from me. Evangelism is heraldic. And if it is heraldic, it is authoritative. It's tied up with the image. It's authoritative. Now that assumes that you actually know what it is. I'm a herald. I have an announcement to make. Um, I don't know what it is. God loves you. has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, That's not the gospel, by the way. You've got to know what the gospel is in order to be a gospel herald. In fact, I would even suggest to you, you actually have to know what it is with a certain amount of conviction. Because you actually have to say, this is what's true. And you're probably going to hear objections to it. If it's heraldic, it's authoritative. I might even add to that, because evangelism is heraldic and therefore authoritative, there's not a place for creativity in evangelism goes back to the chef illustration or the waiter illustration. Don't misunderstand. I want to be as creative as I possibly can to figure out how it is I can evangelize that guy I'm talking to at the boat show. But when it comes down to me saying what the gospel is, I'm not trying to get creative in the least bit. Because it is, by definition, heraldic. You're, you're giving someone else's message. I love this. So helpful. How will they hear without a preacher? I have a funny story to tell you about this. Last night I got home kind of late. A couple of my kids were up. And Allie, my eight-year-old, was one of them who was up. And I got my bags out and I brought all kinds of fun, you know, T-shirts and treats. from. My favorite place to go is go to Trader Joe's and buy like the special cinnamon cookies and all this stuff. Man, they're like, this is awesome and we're having a great time. And I, I said, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite things of the whole week, one of my highlights was, was two nights ago. It was a night before. Anyway, I said, I got to, we, we went out to dinner after the conference, and, and we went to In-N-Out Burger, and, and, and I got to preach the gospel to this guy at In-N-Out Burger. And Allie, her eyes were getting big. She said, Dad, In-N-Out Burger? I said, you know In-N-Out Burger? You know, preaching at In-N-Out Burger? As if she thought I stood up on the table, you know, and everybody's trying to order their double-doubles, and I'm going, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, you know? She's going, Dad, what's the deal there? I said, Allie, I was preaching the gospel, but I was sitting at the table having dinner, you know, and I, I probably probably raised my voice a little bit, but, uh, oh, okay, I understand, Dad. You know, What else did you bring us? <laughs> I was a herald, a proclaimer, bringing a message from someone else. 
you might be interested to know, in that particular setting, I was sitting with a group of men sitting there eating, and the man I was evangelizing was a man who wants to go into pastoral ministry and had been at the Shepherds Conference with us all week, and he doesn't understand what the gospel is. A man who is not saved. And so in my mind, though he wanted to talk about this aspect of ministry and that aspect of ministry, and what about this and what about that, I had one agenda. And everybody else at the table knew, and we all had one agenda, and the one agenda was this guy needs to be converted. He needs to be saved, and he can't be saved unless he calls on the name of the Lord, and he's not going to call on the name of the Lord unless he believes the truth about Christ, and he's not going to believe the truth about Christ unless he hears the truth about Christ, and he's not going to hear the truth about Christ unless there is someone heralding. And it was the most fun of the whole week, even better than In-N-Out Burger. I'm not supposed to talk about lunch because it's lunchtime, and so I've just broken social etiquette in public speaking. But ask me about what I had sometime, and I'll show you a picture of Mike Holloway eating a five-by-five, five, five meats and five cheeses. It was awesome. They don't even do five-by-fives. They only do four-by-fours. But we were doing it because we wanted to be committed to the five solos of the Reformation. And uh, we didn't want to leave any out, so some of the guys just bought extra patties, and we inserted them. Because anyway, it was fun. This isn't even in my notes. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and I'll have you know that this was a last-minute decision, and here we are preaching Christ to this guy. So awesome. So awesome. God uses these things, and you go to these restaurants like I go to these restaurants, and you have friends like I have friends. Open your mouth. Be a herald. Number one, finally, we can do this one quickly. Fifth key element of biblical evangelism is sending. Sending. This is really number one. Look at verse 15 where it says, And how will they preach unless they are sent? The implied answer is they won't. They can't. There needs to be a sending. Just real quickly, we typically read this, and, and I, I think I always have. At first blush, we think this is some sort of human sending agency. Sort of like uh, when we would send out a pastor, we would commission him, or we would send a missionary, we would commission them. And those are good things to do. In fact, there's a biblical precedent for doing those things. But I actually think in this context, it's not talking about that. And Bible scholars would agree. This here seems to be talking about the sending that is done by God himself. And I don't want to get bogged down in the details, but the reason I say that is because bigger picture which we're not focusing on right now. Bigger picture is about Israel's guilt because, in fact, God has sent preachers to Israel. In fact, he sent many preachers, preachers to Israel, and they've rejected them. That's the idea earlier, like in verse 18 or later in 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Then he talks about Moses. Then he talks about Isaiah. By the way, they were both preachers. Verse uh, the, the last verse there in chapter 10, but of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The rationale ends up being, since they had preachers from God, whether it's Isaiah or Moses or John the Baptist or Jesus himself, and they rejected, but by the fact that they've had preachers go to them, it's evidence backing up the fact that God did send preachers to them, and they rejected 
probably telling you more than you want to know right now, but I, I would suggest to you that actually this sending here is God sending. If people are going to be saved, end point, God needs to send heralds for them to be saved. And he's done that in the case of Israel. I would suggest to you he's done it in our case too because we do have the Great Commission. And if there were time, it was my original intent for us to go to Matthew 28 and to see how actually everyone who is a Christian has been called by implication of the Great Commission to make disciples. How do you make a disciple, which is a synonym for a Christian? You preach the gospel. We'll have to talk about that another day. Look at verse 15 where it goes on to say, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I really like that verse because it's so counterintuitive. Quoting Isaiah 52, 7. Just think about first century Palestine and, and think about who would have had the ugliest feet. The heralds. They would have had the ugliest feet. If anybody needed a pedicure, it, were, it was the heralds. Because they're the delivery boys, right? They, they, they were the original marathoners. Something's happened in a far, far away place and, and, and you've got to bring the message back. Go and deliver the message or, or, or go to the front lines and deliver the message regarding what's happening back here in Jerusalem. And so they were footmen. They've got to run, maybe with sandals on, maybe barefooted, and you would see their feet and you would go, those are some nasty feet. But here he says, how beautiful are their feet. They have the most beautiful feet out of anybody because they deliver a good news message. That's what it actually says in the verse, doesn't it? They preach the good news. They preach the gospel. I even love the secondary nature of it. You'd think maybe they have the most beautiful mouth. But he's putting it at the foot level because it's not actually their message. It's actually God's message, the gospel message. And so it's about their feet bringing it. It's just a great, great image. I was somewhere the other day and there was an opportunity for the gospel to be presented to a large group of people, to be heralded. And I was sitting next to the man who was going to get up and he was going to preach the gospel. And I leaned over to him and I said, hey, nice feet. He cocked back like this. <laughs> Good thing I didn't have a pink shirt on or he would have cocked back his fist and he looked at me like, are you nuts? He's, looked at, he, he's like, what? I said, I like your feet. Then I thought his wife was mad at me because I was flirting with her husband or something. I mean, it was just very awkward, but I was doing it on purpose. And he goes, thanks. Romans 10. I'm going to preach the gospel. Yeah, he was about ready to deliver a message from the king, a message of hope. He had the most beautiful feet in the whole room. And I'm pretty confident he's never had a pedicure. <laughs> My final question, given that God is the one who sins here, and it, therefore it doesn't seem very practical, doesn't seem very applicable. My final question is, if God is the sender, how, how is it that you, and, and how is it that, can, that I, can, I can have any kind of boldness or assurance that, that God is sending me? How can you know that, you know what, this is of God? And the simple but important answer is, 
the content. Right? That's what he talks about here. Verse 15, How will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And Romans 10 has been all about the Gospel. That's how you can know. You can know whether someone else is sent by God or not sent by God based upon what they say. If they're preaching Christ and they're preaching the Gospel, you can say, God is in this. This is true Great Commission work. This is genuine. This is a genuine article. And you can even have the boldness then, even though you're afraid sometimes in evangelizing people, God is in this because I'm sticking to the script. And faith, if it comes, comes by hearing. And hearing the Word of Christ. So remember, God and God alone saves Romans 8 and 9. And some of you need to to live in the world of Romans 8 and 9 if you haven't before. But remember also, God uses human means. And some of us need to live in the world of Romans 10 to have that soak into our mind. And they complement each other. God and God alone saves, and He uses heralds in the process. That's where we want to be as a church. Whether you're evangelizing in your kitchen, in your living room, at the burger joint, at the quest center, in the lobby, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It will change your thinking about evangelism entirely, if necessary. And let's see what God does. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity we've had to talk about how great your Son is. We acknowledge that you and you alone save, and we we cannot orchestrate salvation. It's a sovereign act of your sovereign grace. But, Lord, we also know that you use proclaimers. And I pray for the men and women and the boys and girls who are here who are Christians that they would be committed to being proclaimers. And they would proclaim Christ and Him crucified, resurrected. And Lord, we do ask that You would use that to bring about saving faith where people call on the name of the Lord and are saved. It is our longing passion. Make it our longing passion even more so. Because we do want people to be reconciled to You as we have by Your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.